0: Hello and welcome to the Logistics Tribe. I'm your host, Boris Felgendreier, and my guest today is Knut Allecke. Knut is partner at McKinsey, he's based in McKinsey's Stuttgart office, and he's leader of the firm's work in manufacturing and supply chain. He advises clients on a variety of different topics, including supply chain management, digital supply chains and advanced analytics, and supply chain transformations. Knut is also the author of a highly regarded book on supply chain management and is a professor at University of Karlsruhe, teaching supply chain management. I asked Knut to give us his supply chain predictions for 2022, and the conversation turned into a discussion on a variety of topics, including the increased visibility of supply chain as a function, labor shortages and mismatches and the role that automation can play, container shipping rates, log tech startups, and so much more. I'm sure you'll enjoy this. Knut is a regular listener of the podcast himself, so what a great opportunity to have him on today's show. Before we get started, a quick thanks to our sponsor, Gray Orange. Gray Orange sits at the forefront of one of the predictions that Knut is actually making, the increasing role of warehouse and fulfillment automation. Gray Orange's smart robots and AI-enabled automation platform are spreading across warehouses around the world. So check them out if you have a chance. I will leave a link in the show notes. And now, here comes my conversation with Knut Alike from McKinsey. Enjoy. Hello, Knut, Welcome to the Logistics Tribe. Thanks for being on the program, man. Sure. Thanks a lot, Boris, for having me. Yeah, very much looking forward to this uh, conversation as we're closing out the year 2021. And uh, I want to engage in some predictions for the year 2022, which is just around the corner. And Knut, when, you, <laughs> when you're looking back, uh, you probably made similar predictions last year for this year. Uh, anything that sticks out where you were totally wrong, totally off, totally off the mark, anything that sticks out to you?
1: It, th- that's a very good question, and um, uh, I was probably not um, completely off. Um, but um, when we um, started to to also help our clients to to fight the um, the crisis, we expected uh, to see much more uh, nearshoring in the short term. Uh-huh. So everyone uh-huh. was talking about um, regionalization. Hey, supply chains will be only in the region, right? And then, kind of recently, you even had uh, uh, Joe Biden asking in this executive order to analyze um, what what is the what is the exposure so what i thought last year is what would be much more of a topic is that hey we will kind of have um companies coming back now what we see this year and um talking to our clients um we did we did an interesting survey on this topic is that um what they did is basically they um, they increase inventory. That is kind of the natural reaction that you have in, mm-hmm. um, in 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 fighting a shortage. Hey, we need to increase inventory with the semiconductors. That's not always possible because it's just short. Um, so here we have a we have a shift from nearshoring to inventory increase. Um, nevertheless, um, I'm still <laughs> sure that in the next couple <laughs> of years we will see kind of um, a reevaluation of the global footprints. And, um, and with this, we will have more regional for regional um, supply chains going forward.
0: So in other words, your, your prediction was correct. You were just off by the year. You just have to postpone it by a year, shift it to this year, <laughs> to the coming Let, year. Let's see, let's see
1: when <laughs> it will happen. I'm sure it will happen. It did not happen last year.
0: Yeah, awesome. So Knut, I uh, mentioned in my in my short intro before we started this conversation that you're a partner at McKinsey. Just fill us in a little bit, give a little bit more color of what you in particular do at McKinsey in the supply chain area. Yeah,
1: so um, indeed I'm a partner. And... Um Basically, I'm I'm am I'm one of these um, uh, guys who love supply chain, right? So that's what I did for the last 25 years. Before it and- became
0: fashionable, by the way, <laughs> before <it laughs> to like <became Alexa-plation>. fashionable, <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> and it's interesting that I that I worked before joining McKinsey. I worked in a today we call it a, a startup, a software company where we did help consumer electronics um, clients to improve their supply chain performance um, mm-hmm. with uh, with a software, right? And this is something where we back then um, did a lot of the cool stuff that is already. That, that, that was possible back then that is um, done today. And we also did for the automotive industry one th- very interesting thing. Um, that was kind of the start of this whole risk and resilience where um, they suffered um, from supply with, of, of leather leather heights um, for the cover of the, of the in, inside of the mm-hmm. doors. And that was like in 2000 where we set up a system that would cover seven tiers of supply chains and um, with this created transparency and an early warning system, right? Very interesting, very innovative. So this kind of kind of put me into the supply chain and um, in McKinsey um, since uh, 2004, um, helping clients in improving planning, physical flow organization, very interested in all digital topics. And since last year um, I'm running with, uh, with a colleague from the US, I'm basically running our uh, global, let's say, COVID supply chain um, response team.
0: The global COVID response team, supply chain response team, yeah. How has um, supply chain as a function inside of McKinsey changed over the years? Has that gained an importance? Has it always been on the radar and an important topic? Or how has that evolved? I'm curious. In, in McKinsey,
1: it has evolved. So when, when I started, we were a, a small group of uh, enthusiasts and uh, even nerds, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it's growing bigger and bigger and bigger um, because uh, our clients are asking more and more for that. Um, so we basically see what, what what our clients need that we also um, see in McKinsey, right? And now it's a it's a sizable group of around um, about um, uh, one hundred colleagues in 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 Europe. We have the same in US and Asia. So um, I would say uh, every um, every time we have probably some five six hundred people working on supply chain topics, um, which yeah. is which is uh, quite interesting in all industries and in all topics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and to, your, to your point on increasing uh, importance, um, if if you think about um, the, the predictions, supply chain has always been a, a bit of a nerdy topic, right? Um, it was not visible yeah. for the board. Um, it was okay if it works. It was not okay if there is some late deliveries, uh, if there's too much air freight and so on. So it, it, it was a, a, a topic that would not even qualify for um, making, making a board member. Mm-hmm. That's now changed since two years significantly, right? So we had, a, um, had multiple clients where we worked for to help them in improving their resilience, where um, one, for example, um, talked about supply chain in his investor briefings. He never did talk about this before. Right. Um, and there is now there's also some analysis that um, there's much more companies doing exactly this. They mentioned supply chain as a topic. And now it's on us. Right. All of us to make sure that um, we also have the right story. Right. So uh, a lot of supply chain um, enthusiasts love to talk about, let's say, uh, work, truck utilization and so on, but we need to take uh, it kind of further. And hey, supply chain is what makes the world move. Right.
0: Yeah, I'm a little curious about the time frame when you say well, you know, about 2 years ago this started to show up in investor calls and, and executives radar. I mean, that coincided with COVID, right? So then the question becomes is this something where it's of course, if you wouldn't have talked about supply chain in the in the last 2 years, you would have been completely off the mark. But on the other hand, you know, is this something where, you know, there's sort of this, you know, short memory when all this is all said and done, we're going back to normal and supply chain logistics and everything related to that sort of disappears back in the back room and never be seen again again, until the next crisis. What's your prediction there? So my prediction
1: is it, uh, it, it's going to stay. Okay.
0: Um, mm-hmm. We had, um, and it's interesting, if
1: you look back 10 years, we had Fukushima. Uh, it was also a major disruption um, and um, uh, people would also set up war rooms, right? So they would talk about resilience. Hey, we need to do something. We need to increase our strategic resilience. After six to nine months, roughly, um, this discussion stopped, right? Because the crisis was over, the um, mm-hmm. shortage was, was solved. Yep. Now we are since 18 months in a in a crisis um, of different aspects, right? So first the pandemic, and then we had the, the semiconductor crisis and so on. So it's um, it's going to stay um, because it's now kind of embedded into uh, much more strategic discussions um, at our clients. So before you could see that, like 10 years ago, it was like, hey, short-term intervention, solve the issue, firefighting. That's what sometimes also supply chain people love to do. But now it's the question, mm-hmm. can we also redesign our our products to be more resilient can we change the way we um, work with our customers can we do much more demand shaping can we do much more in terms of visibility of our multi-tier supply chain and with this um, it is kind of embedded in the overall resilience um, of a company and it's also that investors ask for it right so similar like for sustainability we see see also in resilience we um, we see that investors ask for um, resilient supply chain. So we need to make sure that this is enabled and that's um, why it will stay.
0: Yeah, I remember a related discussion that probably happened one, I want to say five or six years ago where there was big talk about suddenly supply chain management moving into the boardroom with chief supply chain officer roles so CSCO roles. There was sort of a, a big hype for a while, but that then seemed to taper off. Is this something that has really materialized or was this a, a, a false start and a false prediction of supply chain moving into the boardroom? We, we are we are looking into
1: this topic uh, since um, since a couple of years and it's it's right that it was it was a bit of a hype but also mm-hmm. this is going to stay so the the, the most well-known um, head of supply chain is Tim Cook right or the CEO of Apple yeah. who kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, set up the the, the supply Came chain Came from operations yeah, yeah exactly yeah. exactly um, and this is this is something where we see more and more um, um, people being let's say, have even even if they're called a COO they have a supply chain background and with this they kind of embed supply chain thinking is it is it the role of the chief supply chain officer no it's not right it's it's the same like 20 years ago you saw a lot of people who were kind of um, running a warehouse right head of logistics and they found that hey now it's cool we need to be now the head of supply chain right they kept (laughs) operating the warehouse um And, and that did not change, right? So there was nothing on kind of end-to-end planning and so on and collaboration. Um, and so here the title of Chief Supply Chain Officer is nice, but it's much more the, the mindset of um, of the people in the board that this changes towards um, supply
0: chain. Yeah, so, so in other words, that, that was prediction number one. So supply chain management has increased in focus. Everyone's talking about and it's here to stay. So this one is not a false start, but this time it's for real, so to speak. The major upgrade has occurred and it's not going back. We're not going back in time. Yes, <laughs> awesome. What about next one? Next, next prediction from you.
1: So, um, it, it's it's quite interesting if you think about the um, let's say the container rates that skyrocketed, right? So, yep. Um, if, if we if just kind of take a um, a look of what happened, and then the, the, the prediction the prediction is as you would expect it will go down, right? So, but, but the question is, um, what level will it reach? And um, I would assume that it probably is something like um, fifty to one hundred percent more than the pre pandemic. Um, um freight rates um and it's it's quite interesting if you think about what 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 happened right so um we had um we had the pandemic um everyone was sent home you could not go um, for holiday so you would spend your money somewhere else at the same time there was um, um money flooded in the us to support people which is good and um so these people had um, the chance to to buy a lot of stuff. Right. So it's interesting that they bought stuff and not services. There was different before. Before it was like always less stuff and more services. And now that changed. And this these products had to be. And luckily, China was um, coming out of the crisis very fast so they could produce. And now they they send it over to the US. Very, very good. Um, And then at the same time, we had um, people not coming back. so truck drivers not coming back, warehouse workers not coming back, people at the ports not coming back, um, people who to operate uh, container vessels not coming back. So this kind of, all of these effects kind of um, were topping each other. And then it leads to to this um, port congestion that we have uh, these days, which is quite interesting because this, we did an analysis to understand, hey, is there a shortage in terms of um, vessel capacity? And mm-hmm. it's very interesting that um, there is no shortage, it's just wrong balanced, right? So because right. If, yeah. if a container vessel is waiting in front of the port of LA on Long Beach, then it cannot kind of go around the world and transport stuff. So this is something where we see clearly um, a kind of a mismatch. And with this, we see container rates um, significantly increasing. They will go down again. It's interesting to see that now um, the reaction is, hey, we need to bring more capacity. Right. And this capacity, like in all swings, um, will then lead to an overcapacity. On the other hand, it's very interesting to see that there is um, kind of the top five players um, control something like uh, 65% of the, of the volume, right, of the, mm-hmm. of the freight volume. Yeah. Um, and with this, um, they now understand how to, um, how to work, right? And with this, it will not go down to the pre-pandemic um, price level. Um, it will stay at a bit of a higher level, um, which is fine for most shippers, right? Because um, if you think about the the kind of the percentage of transport cost in their margin, right, it's relatively low. So if we have an increase, not of seven times, 10 times, 15 times as we see now, because this is kind of putting some of the, the shippers out of business, but um, if it's a moderate increase, um, that is going to be going to be staying
0: yeah you touch on it i think the biggest question in, in all of this is how the the carriers will react in the sense that are they going to build up capacity because it takes many many years to build these large ships and large of investments is this actually happening are they going to risk having more and over capacity or is there no real incentive to change the situation anytime soon because they're they're having a, the, the time of their lives so like what do you what do you make what do you make of that um, so
1: it's it, it's the time of their life. That's uh, that's yeah. true, right? So probably they they are now they have the challenge to kind of where to invest <laughs> because yeah. we are earning so much money. Um, if you if you think if you look into the order books of the of the shipbuilding yards, then you see that it's increasing, right? So um, people are building new ships, and um, they will be released. The first ships are released um, um, this month and next year, and the, the year after there will be um, warships released. Um, to uh, to make sure that they can cover um the the demand right um and um, and they're kind of getting better in um kind of managing the capacity right so even if the capacity is kind of theoretically available they are very good in uh, taking out capacity from the um, from
0: the okay, so so throwing more hardware at the problem in the form of new ships and more vessels and to increase capacity is one way to do it. What I was hoping also to see is more investment on the technology side, so that the entire process of executing ocean freight becomes more digitized and more fluent and more able to to change more quickly. I mean, I think we all agree that it's it's sort of there's a lot of room for improvement when it comes to digitalization of the ocean freight industry. Do you see? Movement in that direction, or is it basically just solving the the problem with known methods of of building more ships, <laughs> sort of without <laughs> looking at technology?
1: No, they, so there there is clearly also an increase in technology. Um, mm-hmm. If you if you look into the um, the startups um, that work in the in the logistics area, in the supply chain area, kind of creating more platforms, that is something where we clearly see um, a boost, a boost in terms of um, leveraging the, the capacity much more, much smarter, right? And um, and with this, you don't need to solve it with uh, overcapacity that is then utilized only to a certain extent. Right. No, you can really, if you have this capacity available, then you also use it. So there is clearly um, more more to happen. Um, these startups, um, we did an analysis and, um, and that clearly showed that there is a, a lot of, there's a lot of um, uh, venture capital available, right? And um, we will see some, very interesting startups popping up in the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, that's certainly very encouraging to see startups tackling that issue. But what about the carriers themselves? I mean, we just talked about that's a heyday. It's like they report record quarterly earnings and, and annual earnings. Wouldn't it be smart for them to invest more in technology? What, do you, what would you re- recommend to them if you were to advise one of the large ocean carriers? What would you, what would you tell them how to place their bets in terms of technology?
1: They, I, I think so. I think what, what what
0: happens is that they they also invest
1: uh, definitely, right? So they mm-hmm. um, they uh, look into latest technology to to make sure that the the vessels are more sustainable, but then also more, more utilized. So that will that will happen. And um, and what they also do is they they look into kind of expanding a bit their scope, right? From kind of a hey, right. from port A to port B, that's nice. But well, why don't we then go one step beyond? That we say from um, Customer A, or from supplier A to customer B, right? So we kind of um, have more part of the value chain, uh, which helps everyone, right? Because there is a lot of, uh, honestly, there's a lot, still a lot of uh, kind of friction um, in the um, in the value chain. If you think about um, a, a multi-model uh, uh, transport, and this is something they. Um, they will um, look into and um, they will take kind of more ownership
0: yeah but if you take the the point of view of the shipper I think they they wouldn't 100 percent agree that it's a good thing if, if the carriers own more parts of the <laughs> of the supply chain or the operations I would say it depends um the the, the shipper the shipper wants to have um,
1: a reliable and predictable transport from from A to B Currently, it is like um, if you think about tracking and tracing, right? So you 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 are you're going crazy because you need to kind of talk to so many different people, um, and um, you only get an idea of hey now I'm here, right? But you want to have a prediction on when are you um, going to be in my receiving area, so the expected time of arrival is what you what you're interested in. So now, if someone um, and there is clearly startups that um, that claim to do yep. that, uh, but if now the um, the, the the big shipping company can provide more information that is helpful, right? Do you want to, as a shipper, want to kind of put all your bets on, on one of these, or do you want to have two? Clearly, that's that's a discussion that the procurement guys
0: will then have. Yeah. All right. Let's. Um, <laughs> there was an interesting discussion around freight rates and, and ocean freight. That's a big topic of this year. Interesting to see that you're expecting sort of a little bit of a leveling off, but not returning to pre-COVID price level, so to speak. Yeah. What's uh, what's your next prediction? What's the uh, next area we can tackle? So um, one, one prediction is um, it's
1: based on, um, on the labor shortage or labor mismatch. Um, and this yep. is going into, um, into, I would say, warehouse automation. Um, mm-hmm. So what we, what we see um, is that, um, so, and, and you read it also in the press, right? So everyone um, thinks that, hey, um, we don't have enough people um, to drive our trucks or to operate our warehouses. Um, and this is, we did an analysis in the, in the U.S., where we could clearly see that it's a combination of um, people kind of, they, they receive enough um, support from the, from the government that they do not immediately need to go back uh, to work. That's not changing in the last couple of months. But then there is a lot of um, people um, that decided to, uh, to retire, to early retire. So there is um, currently, there is, um, there's a shortage of 4.7 million people. And that was uh, compared to before covid and that's quite interesting, right? Because it's a sizable number. And um, a lot of these um, people um, work, so a lot of them will also work in restaurants and so on, but uh, a lot of them also um, work in the logistics area. So what you see is you see kind of an increase of um, of pay. Um, so, hey, um, we, we are um, paying more than uh, the warehouse across the, um, the street, but there's still um, a, a gap, right? And that is clearly something where um, the warehouse automation players, um, a lot of them are, are in Europe, um, have um, benefit a lot. So this is this is one reason. And the other reason is clearly in the pandemic, we saw a lot more online, significant increase of, um, of online sales. And um, if you think about how um, the, a typical warehouse of an, of an online player is operated, you also see um, quite a sizable automation technology in there. So... Yeah. If you, mm. if you if you think about the um, the the order books of the big players, um, they're full, right? Which is good. Um, they they hire they hire people, right? So they grow like uh, like crazy. Um, and um, we, we had a couple of discussions with clients where they where they plan to to either build a new warehouse, automate a new warehouse, or automate something that is existing. And um, you get quotes back that say, yeah, we can help you guys. No problem. In two years, <laughs> three years, and four years, so um, there is much more demand um, than supply, and um, and this will continue, right? So my prediction is that um, first of all, you kind know, of the labor mismatch um, will will continue, right? Clearly, um, hourly rates will increase. Uh, with this, we can we will level it a bit, but there is a, a kind of a structural um, issue, and um, and with this, it's kind of um, probably. Um, the the golden years of warehouse automation um, yeah. to um, to help to to close the gap and um, here to be more automated.
0: Yeah, do you feel like we've reached a tipping point in the sense that this is really like the watershed moment where the companies that were short on people to begin with before the pandemic now saw okay, well let's just let's let's not even try to fully fill the roster with with employees and go full into automation where they don't even bother increasing the salaries where they don't even bother creating better job experience for the people who work in their warehouse and going all in on automation or is that too too big a statement? <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I, I, think, I think it was a mixed picture. Um, uh-huh. so there, there, there were there were companies out there uh, that saw that hey we, we need to, we need to do something right We, we cannot meet our our, uh, our lead time requirements our, our service levels, the, the, the complex um, product portfolio we have. So we need to do something. And then on top of this, um, they had this labor shortage. And uh, thought that hey, uh, as we are anyhow investing in automation, we can kind of um, boost this a bit, and with this we can we can solve it. Um, still, there is there is um, um, a shortage um, of the remaining labor because you will never have a 100% automated warehouse, right? And this is clearly where where these companies probably thought that hey, we we don't need to think about increasing our um, our pay, um, but they're kind of reconsidering this now and um, and start to um, to also offer. Um, over better jobs
0: yeah on that note with the with more and more automation showing up inside the fulfillment centers and warehouses and so forth do you see the the qualifications of the roles that are remaining in the warehouse are they going up? Are they going down? Are they staying the same? In other words, what roles is automation currently replacing, so to speak, that was previously handled by a human? Is it the low cost, the high cost, the high qualification, low qualification? Where does it fit?
1: So if we if we if we look not only into the warehouse but kind of more also beyond the supply chain, we, we we have we have basically the whole spectrum. If we start mm-hmm. with the warehouse, then uh, if you think about um, what what you typically um, solve with automation. Is kind of moving from A to B, uh, kind of retrieving something and uh, and and picking, right? So this is kind of the, the low qualification uh, jobs these, these, um, these people um, kind of also in an automated system, if you do a pick by voice, if you have your terminal, so there, there is kind of a, a need for increasing the qualification, but there is clearly then a lot of other um, highly qualified people uh, coming up. And this is also what often is in, not done properly in the analysis. You, you have kind of an army of technicians that uh, make sure that the, the system is working properly. And these people are kind of highly educated—mechatronics, mechanical engineering, elect- electrical engineering—people um, that really, really know how the system works. And in addition, um, and this is um, something that will also kind of be boosted in the next couple of years, the the role um, or the the importance of the of the software system is super, super important. What we often see is that. Um, there is a let's say you have an investment of one hundred and fifty million euro, um, highly automated system. Um, it's sometimes shocking how basic the uh, the, the warehouse um, control system is, right? So it's often <laughs> it's often kind of really programmed on the spot, right? So there is no kind of um, advanced technology. There's no microservices. There's nothing. So this is something where you can uh, at the same time significantly improve the performance of the warehouse. Kind of in terms of output, in terms of reliability, um, and also in terms of workforce planning, right? So that is something that we will see in the mm-hmm. future. Again, asking for much more high, higher qualified um, um, people, and now kind of switching over to the to the broader supply chain. If if we think here about um, order management, where we had people kind of keen in stuff, um, that is replaced then also by automation. It's kind of robotic process automation, is something that is around for a couple of years and um, will now be more and more used um, to replace so to say this um, low qualification job and here again you need to have someone you need to have a technician in place that um, that is um, setting up this um, this software robot and then also making sure that it's uh, always adapted and configured and improved right again here um you need to have uh, higher qualified people.
0: Yeah, and going back to the situation inside the warehouse and fulfillment centers, I think the role of managing such a fulfillment center will evolve too, where it becomes a lot more technical, a lot more understanding of the software landscape, of the robotics landscape and so forth. Whereas in the in the past, your job was here's my shelving system, I have to get my team ready and, and going and sort of manage. That's sort of my role. Now it's it's a completely different ballgame and sort of raises the bar on the people that run operations inside the fulfillment centers as well, right?
1: I would fully agree. So you, you are from a from a the, the classical warehouse manager, um, who um, in some some cases would um, would start as a as a picker, right, as a forklift driver. Yeah. Um, is it is perfectly fine because you know your your operations inside out and and now you kind of um, have much more technology. <coughs> so you need to know the, the technology. You need to know the, the systems behind that. And um, at the same time, you need to still have this continuous improvement mindset, right? So because systems doesn't mean it, it's optimal. So here you also need to improve. You need to make sure that you challenge and uh, and with this improve the performance.
0: Plus, you're dealing with something uh, with technology that's a exponential growth curve that's changing very, very quickly, gets more powerful very, very quickly and where in the past your daily work inside the warehouse hadn't really changed much, <laughs> now it's it's changing quite a lot because it's sitting on the on the back of Moore's law and a lo- lot of stuff shows up, gets better, gets quicker, gets cheaper. All of a sudden, things are happening in the warehouse. <laughs> which exactly, which which is
1: um, also a very interesting topic in terms of um, uh, the the learning organization, right? So we talk about this since years. So Peter Sanger did even write a book many many years ago. Um, yep. And, and, and this is what we see more and more required that one of us uh, needs to be curious to explore new topics, to understand new topics and understand how can we apply these topics in our daily daily work. Right? If you if kind of talking to, to to heads of supply chain, heads of warehouses uh, or supervisors, you, you clearly see a difference where people are really interested kind of to push the boundaries, right? And really question, 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 question. So in Lean, you call it the five whys, right? So you really understand what's going on. Um, this is something that um, um, kind of qualifies you uh, to be much better in terms of improving the performance of your system than someone where you say that, ah, uh, we, we did it in the same way since 10 years and we'll continue to do that uh, for the next 20 years. That's yeah. clearly not the... Um, of the game of uh, of these days.
0: Yeah, makes sense. All right, moving on to the next big prediction of yours. What's pick? Pick the next one off your list. One one interesting uh, discussion or
1: prediction is uh, around the uh, the role of inventory. If you think about um, what what happened over the last years, is inventory was was also always going down, right? Even with um, global supply chains, we had less and less inventory, and um, in, in some industries, like, like the automotive industry, there were even concepts like um, just-in-time, just-in-sequence, even right, where you have literally, if you think about kind of seats or so, which is kind of big from a volume perspective, and it's, it's just impossible to kind of stock like one month of seats. Um, that you that you had these uh, seats just-in-time, uh, just-in-sequence, you delivered them, and then they were they were assembled on the assembly line. Mm-hmm. So um, what happens now is um, in the, in the crisis. All industries that um, that had historically more inventory <laughs> did better, right? Um, and um, so, to give you an example, the the uh, the, the pharma industry, right? Kind of historically um, much more inventory because, um, and, and the reason is very simple: the the customers of a pharmaceutical company is um, is kind of everyone here, right? And um, uh, if you think about service level to the customer. Is basically, hey, uh, you have your medicine available or not, right? And you don't want to have your medicine not available. That's why um, service level in the upper 99s um, is, is is kind of common. That's why there was a lot of inventory, and um, they they managed the crisis much better because of um, of this safety cushion, so to say. Is it necessary for all industries? No, um, but it will be reevaluated in terms of um, we see inventory more um, as kind of the guardian of resilience as one part. There's a lot of other stuff that you need to do, but it will be um, evaluated um, in, a, in a different way um, going forward.
0: But of course, the other side of the medallion is... A lot of inventory is expensive, <laughs> so on the next investor call, and the CFO was going to ask uh, what your inventory levels are and if you have too much or if, if you have the wrong stuff inside your inventory. You have a lot, but it's not really meeting the season. You're you're in trouble. So uh, you're expecting a move back there too. I mean, those times will come again, right? Where it's not justifiable any longer to have tons and tons of inventory that's sitting around there and it's just ruining your your balance sheet, right? I I
1: fully agree and. Um, if, if, you, if you, let's say, just flood your system with inventory, that is not very smart, right? So you need to make sure that you have the right the, the inventory at the right location. And we, we still see a lot of companies where it's more like flooding, right? So fully agree that this, this does not help. But to our earlier discussion, um, we will also see that um, investors will kind of put more emphasis on resilience we will see that boards will understand the importance of supply chain more and more. Right. And one part is inventory. Right. So this combination um, um, with this combination, I'm, I'm sure that we will have less push on just reducing inventory. We will still have investors that will push and say, Hey, as low as possible. Right. But then um, it's, it's kind of the task of the, of the supply chain guys, to also show the, the implications of, hey, if we have less inventory, we might have a stock out and that stock out might lead to le- bad service level that might to have to, to lost sales. That means that if we ensure availability, we have top line growth, right? And this is what investors like to see, right? And not only the, uh, the cash that we have in
0: inventory. Yeah. I also expect there to be a major push again for technology that lets you have a better visibility and better control of your inventory. Uh, because that's probably the next question that people will ask is tell me about the inventory levels why do we have that much where is it oftentimes the answer is we don't know right for example inventory is in motion most companies have no idea (laughs) from the time it's sent out from suppliers to when it arrives at the customer that drive for finally getting complete visibility of your inventory and having better control over it allows you to work with lower levels of inventory to begin with right so are you also expecting a major push into technologies allow you to do that right yes
1: Definitely, and there, there was a, there was a saying kind of many many years ago. You wanna you wanna replace inventory with information, right? And this is this is key. If you if you know, um, so so inventory. If we step back, right? Inventory is used um, um, to make sure that you cover volatility, right? Volatility in demand and volatility in supply, um, and there's also some lot sizing uh, reasons for inventory. So if you have this volatility and you can predict it better and you, you have a, a volatile demand and your, your prediction is pretty good, you need to have less inventory. Same with supply, right? Um, nowadays, um, the, if you look into the reliability of uh, the, the, the container vessels, it went down from kind of 80s, 90s to now in the mid-20s. So that means that here you have uncertainty that you need to cover. right? Mm. If this is something that you can predict, then you need to have less to, um, to, to, to cover. So um, more technology used, Better predictions will clearly help us to reduce inventory, and here um, again, very important is now to link everything um, together. What we often see is that um, inventory, let's say, is managed um, as uh, weeks of supply, right? It's very simple; everyone understands weeks of supply, days of supply. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, is it it does not have an element of variability, right? So here we need to be also a bit more kind of um, scientific, so to say to say, hey, let's do the proper calculation. And then for the management, it's perfectly fine to reconvert it into days of supply or weeks of supply. But let's first understand it. So um, coming back to your, to your question on, hey, how, how will technology help? Um, it will help um, a lot because we, we understand, so to say, the world better. And with this, we have uh, less uncertainty. Less uncertainty means less inventory needed um to 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 decouple
0: yeah makes sense next one next one up the list your next prediction what else is there for 2022 that we have to keep an eye on
1: so um, i i think there um so maybe maybe to uh to combine uh, two two predictions or two final predictions mm-hmm. um I, I i would expect that um we we see um, a, a much larger need in uh, in talent in terms of managing our digital supply chain. Mm-hmm. And we see at the same time that um, that uh, digitization is increasing significantly. So we, we clearly saw that everyone is, is digitizing, digitizing, but in the last 18 months, there was a boost, right? It's probably kind of the equivalent of five years that we saw in the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. Now we need to have people uh, to manage this. So there is talent necessary. And um, honestly, Um, I'm I'm teaching myself um, at the university, but um, um, often universities teach the stuff that is not so useful in practice, right? So (laughs) you have kind of super complex uh, lot sizing algorithms that no one uses in practice. So we need to develop the talent um, that's on all of us right? to coach our younger colleagues, to go to universities, to lecture, um, to be able to understand supply chain and to use also the digital backbone. And this is the second prediction. that um, we will see, um, software companies, existing software companies that provide solutions for for supply chain management, um, and logistics management, they they have also a very good time. It's like the automation companies in hardware. In software, we also see order books are full. A lot of people are in investing, um, and. Um, in addition to that, you will, we, we, as we discussed already, we see the startups kind of um, popping up and, um, and coming up with very interesting solutions. So the, the future will be kind of much more digital and we need to have, let's say, the backbone and we need to have the people um, to manage this.
0: That's probably one of the most encouraging things I've seen over the years is the sort of personnel and the sort of talent and people that come in to the new LogTech startup scene. So people that previously wouldn't have bothered would have gone into totally different areas, into fintech or e-commerce or worked at investment bankers or for the large corporations now are flooding into log tech startups and creating some really, really cool, exciting stuff. And that's true for Germany too. You've probably followed the sort of LogTech scene here in Germany and what's what's happened there in the last couple of years. It's amazing, right?
1: Yes, exactly, exactly. So it, it feels like the, this, this whole topic of logistics and supply chain is... Um, from a little bit of an old-fashioned box-moving, um, driving trucks, it's kind of now um, elevated into a, a pretty cool place to be, um, and uh, a super important place to be to make sure that uh, that the economy works and that we are we are supplied with the stuff and that we will have our Christmas presents yeah. <laughs> that we hopefully ordered on time and not uh, one day before, and. Um, it's 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 much more understood, right? And this is this is what I find super exciting for the next years.
0: Yeah, and when you're teaching at university, you're talking to students. Do you get the sense that working in the area of logistics and supply chain has gotten sexier and more interesting over the years? So I can understand if somebody works for Sendor or Zen Cargo or what what have you, some some cool startup that's developing something exciting. But what about the traditional role inside of Procter Gamble, Volkswagen, you name it, logistics supply chain roles? Have they gotten a better rep have they be- are they becoming more interesting to to talent so uh, talent
1: is clearly looking for the for the cool startups and the e-commerce companies right because this is yep. kind of also where where the latest and greatest is applied and used um but also um a, a lot of um, my students still um work um in their internship or uh, look for jobs after after completing their masters um, they look for kind of the the traditional companies, so to say, because there is kind of the impact you can have in these companies to really boost is also uh, significant, right? A lot of these companies are not yet where the e-commerce companies are in terms of their tech backbone, so um, the the impact you might have is is still uh, is still very very high. So I would say it's a it's a mixed picture. If I look back like fifteen years ago, it was kind of. Uh, the majority was going into the bigger companies. Mm. Um, but now it's probably 50-50. Um, I'm not so sure whether they really also kind of then join, 50% of them join e-commerce companies. Yeah. But at least that's, that's what they find exciting and interesting. Um, but it's um, it's still exciting also with, with uh, kind of the traditional companies.
0: What about you guys at McKinsey? I mean, you're obviously known for working with a lot of multinational blue ship clients, large corporations and so forth. Um but have you also gotten involved with consulting and doing projects and working for small, fast rising hot lock tech startups, for example? Um
1: so it's it, it's it's not very well known but it's kind of um McKinsey ex McKinsey's is the is the biggest number of uh, of founders in in the startup space. Um so that is not known uh, so in Europe um, in in US I don't know. So, we have kind of uh, a lot of entrepreneurs <laughs> that kind of leave McKinsey and then start their own company. So, that's one thing. And
0: it should also be the other way around that people come back to you and not <laughs> only leave the door. <laughs> exactly. So, and, and they, they start
1: to come back. <laughs> so, um, for, Zalando is a good example, right? Zalando mm-hmm. was brought up by, by ex McKinsey people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we are um, we are helping them with um, clearly you have your network right and so you have um, we also have a lot of pro bono work that we where we help young entrepreneurs to be successful and then kind of growing we also help we we even sometimes take equity to mm-hmm. to help them so it's not that we have an incubator right but with our network and um, with um, with our experience um, we clearly um, help the startup space to to grow.
0: But I, I would assume you're also clearly competing for talent. So someone that's a really high potential out of out of college, out of university, for example, or a couple of years in, that would have traditionally been a super hot target for McKinsey, is now maybe thinking about joining the latest startup and as a founder team. Probably a t- t- tough competition for you guys, right? It is. Yeah. It is.
1: Um, so and um, if you if you look into McKinsey, we we clearly also changed a lot over the last um, the last couple of years, kind of. Um, you need to pay attention to what the uh, the young talent wants, right? So much more flexible, um, much more kind of purposeful work. Um, and um, honestly, there's still a lot of people who then still go to uh, join the startup. it's um it's it's not easy. Um, luckily, we are uh, often ranked as number one, so that uh, that gives us um, yeah. a, a bit of a benefit. But uh, but you always need to be super flexible, agile, and uh, to attract these people.
0: Yeah, are you kind of looking for people on your team to expand? So anybody's listening, that <laughs> definitely,
1: definitely, we always look for people. We we um, we will hire um, many, many, many new colleagues um, um, next year. So
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: in case anyone is looking. And by the way, it's also interesting that we um, like when I when I joined. Um, At the age of 36, I was kind of one of the old guys. Um, This now (laughs) Uh changed completely, right? So McKinsey is now um, hiring clearly people fresh from university, but also a lot more experienced people. Um, and, um, and with this we have a, a, a much more diverse, um, kind of from a tenure point of view, a much more uh, a diverse group.
0: Yeah, exciting stuff. Knut, any more predictions that we ha- haven't covered yet? No, there was a lot there already and a lot of predictions combined <laughs> into some super predictions. They all collated and, and came together. Anything else we missed? No, I think we did
1: not miss um, predictions. And um, looking forward um, to, to then look next year, what, what really happened in the next two years. Yeah, um, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going
0: to have you back on and <laughs> explain to you what exactly. happened. Why why none of this happened? <laughs> why none of the happened? Exactly. Fantastic. Exactly, exactly. Knut, this was exciting, though. Thank you very much for your insights. Very much appreciated you coming on to the show. Fantastic. Thanks for your time. Man. Super, super. Un- Thanks. Until Thanks next time. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Definitely. Bye. Alright, that was the Logistics Tribe podcast episode on Supply Chain Predictions 2022 with Knut Alicke from McKinsey. If you enjoyed today's show, please make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of the future episodes. 2022 will be a big year for the Logistics Tribe, more to come. Also, I included a few interesting links to publications and articles from McKinsey on the topic of supply chain into the show notes, so check them out if you have a chance. I'm Boris Fergondrea, until next time.